Hey, welcome to night school. I haven't done one of these for, what, a week and a half? It's a long time in night school world. Night school world. School world. When you're growing up, you do live in school world. And it's amazing how much that dominates your brain. School world. Turns out it dominates your brain forever, too, because if you're me, you still think about school sometimes. I don't know, you know, I haven't haven't really had a lot to say. I really truly haven't. And if I did, it would just, it would be that ongoing just anxiety, dread, depression talk, which, you know, it's kind of like talking to a friend about that stuff where like, yeah, you have friends who will be like, oh yeah, I'm down to talk to you. But then you realize that you can't, it doesn't really resolve anything inside of you. Like it's nice to have somebody hear you out, but it's not like they solve your problems for you and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want them to anyway. But then you realize that it's like, I can't just keep doing that to them. I can't just talk every time I talk to them. I can't just talk about that shit because you know how it feels when they do that to you. Like if you've ever, ever had a friend who like went through a breakup and they're heartbroken and they want to talk about it every single fucking time you talk to them, it gets to be a bit much like that first time you talk to them. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, let's let's actually go through this. The next, you know, three, four, fifty times, sometimes it's months. But you can't do that to people, even though you you have this unresolved bullshit going on inside of you. You can't just call your friends all the time and be like, yeah, things suck. Oh, things still suck. Nobody wants to deal with that. And I don't know, you know, this is another one of those periods where I'm just so tuned out. So tuned out. And things do not feel real in the least. They already feel that way. But I'm seeing this stuff about like Ukraine and Russia. And I have a little bit of Russian sympathy. Not a lot. Like I'm not a big fan of Russia. I'm not like a giant Russian fanboy or anything. But I have to admit, as far as this whole modern dynamic goes, this modern world powers, I'm not a fan of China. Honestly, I'm not too happy with the U.S. these days either. I'm not too happy with most of Europe. What I like about Russia, and I think this is basically it, is that they're not playing anybody else's game. Like Russia is perpetually defiant. And not defiant in a way like, yeah, you know, it seems like they get constantly blamed for trying to meddle in other people's business. Basically, they get blamed for doing what everyone else is trying to do to them. And they probably do it, too. And I don't think Putin's a great guy. I don't think that Putin's a guy who has everyone in Russia's best interest in mind. But he also represents that. I mean, Putin also represents exactly what he is. He seems like a scary fucking guy. He seems extremely... I mean, he is extremely stoic and intimidating. He's ex-KGB. Like, if you want to call that guy a bad guy, I don't even know that he would disagree with you. So that makes it a little easier. Whereas, like, you look at what's going on in Canada and you see this weird little, like, it's like Robin Williams and, uh, I don't know. I mean, every time I see Justin Trudeau, Justin, I think of Robin Williams. He looks like Robin Williams to me. But he also looks like somebody else. But like somebody else was saying, it's like, that's the worst possible dictator you could imagine. Like seeing him up on the 
podium being like, we will freeze your... He seems like he should have an accent. He doesn't have nearly enough of an accent. He looks like he should have a really over-the-top, either French or uh, British accent or something. But you know, he's up there. He's like, we will freeze their bank accounts. And we will give the police more tools. That's pretty wild. But none of that even feels real anymore. You know, it really doesn't. I just, I see this stuff in passing. My brain is so foggy. I have so much of my own shit going on that I'm just like, what is this? <laughs> what, what is this? You know, what it reminds me of, it's like if you're sleeping. Like this happened to me this morning, actually, where I got a group text message from a friend and uh, it was talking about trying to arrange a group phone call with this other guy who I used to know many years ago. We have some stuff to talk about. And I thought I dreamed that text. I was like, I woke up and I was like, yeah, that I didn't get that text message. There's no way that text message came. And then I checked my phone and sure enough, I'm like, oh, wow, that was a real text message. But that's kind of how everything feels now. Everything kind of feels like I see it out of the corner of my eye, and it's not really hap- happening, happening. It's that veil of Maya. It's that illusion feels so strong. Like, shit feels very real to me on one level. Like, there's a lot of pressing shit that I'm dealing with, but then when it comes to everything else that's swirling on, and when I go out into the world, everything just feels dead. Like, I walked to the grocery store tonight, and it just felt so desolate and dead. And I went in and I, I did the self-checkout, which I don't like. That's not a, I've, I've never considered the self-checkout a good thing. It removes one extra layer of humanity from, you know, because, I mean, grocery shopping should be a human process. Yeah, it might be more efficient sometimes, but usually, like, I buy yogurt and stuff, and it takes me so long to ring up a bunch of yogurts and pack them up. You know, it just takes too long. I don't enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy interacting with a robot like that anyway. But anyway, like the guy there, like normally the the self-checkout, whatever, is open. And then the guy was like, so are we just going to close? I'm off in 20 minutes. Are we just going to close this? Because we don't have anybody else to fill in. So I guess they're still having some sort of shortage. I'm looking for a job. Uh, I don't don't really want to work there. But... uh, I don't know, just, you know, when I walk down the street, I'm just like, I'm like, what happened to everybody? Things are just quiet and desolate. I haven't been downtown here in months. I think the last time I talked about this on here, like last summer, like July was the month where a lot of people had been vacked. It was nice weather. There were all these people just out and about. I was going on these walks downtown I think I was taking weed edibles or something. Maybe, maybe not. I don't remember if I was on that at the time. But I was going on these walks and I was just seeing like beautiful young girls wearing nothing. I was going on about that being really lecherous. So I would just see like young women and just wearing like, you know, there's a girl in like a see-through, a completely see-through dress wearing like lingerie and just... I'm reliving it right now. I just kept everywhere I'd go, I was seeing that. It was like everybody was like this flower bursting and blooming. And then it got, that all just got wiped away real quick. And yeah, it's still winter and everything. But when I go out, I'm just like, everything just feels dead and surreal. 
dead and surreal. And the news feels that way, what little of it I see. U- Ukraine and Russia, Putin. What are these words? What does it mean to have an opinion on those things? Because, yeah, I do have a little bit of Russian sympathy. I just I, Maybe it's the oppositional defiance in me. But I do like that Russia has become this world power again that scares the shit out of everybody. They're not playing the same game as everybody else. Like, Russia is oppositionally defiant. Like, whether they're communist, whether they're, I don't even know what they are now. It seems like no matter what they do, they are oppositionally defiant. And they say, we're not going to do what you're going to do. And they're a warrior people. You know, you get that impression. I think I think that's why people who like Putin like him, is that he does seem like a warrior, like a retired warrior. And that's something we haven't seen here in a long time. I don't even know that we've ever seen it in my lifetime. I'm trying to think of in my lifetime. You know, I guess that George H.W., he was an ex-CIA director, so I guess you could compare that to Putin, but he didn't seem like a warrior. Because I think, if I have it right, Putin was an agent. I don't know if that's true, but he was something. But George H.W., he didn't seem like a warrior. I mean, he just seemed like a a bureaucrat. But, uh, you know, I mean, no, no leader of the Western world in my lifetime has felt like a warrior, a retired warrior. It's been a long time since a, a general or anybody like that held office. It'd be interesting if they did. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. Even though I'm not pro-war, pro-military, really, I'm not against it either. I'm not, I mean, I'm against war, but I'm not against the military. But I wouldn't be opposed to a military leader. Not a, a military dictator, but just an ex-military, like a former general. I think that would be an interesting change of pace. To have somebody who's not trying to egg on war, but just kind of carries that with them, just represents that. I think that's what we need, actually. We've had these, just these tricky guys for so long. Like, we've relied for so long on like, oh, he's so well-spoken, or he's not so, he's not very well-spoken. Oh, he's so mean. He's so old. You know, it's, it's like whether you like the politician or not, it's like we've been evaluating him based purely on his social ability for pretty much my entire lifetime. Wouldn't it be cool if it was just this stoic guy who was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a former general. This is what we're going to do. This is what, we, this is what, you, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> this is what you're going to do. <laughs> Is what is what you gonna do? This is what we're gonna you gonna do? That'd be fun. It's just a really stoic president who just went up there and didn't say anything, just stared at people, just made reporters uncomfortable with his silence. That'd be such an effective technique. I mean, that's kind of what Putin's doing. He doesn't show any emotion. He's got this icy stare. I think that's effective. Whether you think he's a good guy, a bad guy, I admit he's a bad guy, but I think what he's doing is effective. But uh, the idea of having an actual nuanced opinion on it is just lost on me. And I've been so out of touch. I mean, I haven't really, I guess I heard from my dad after the Super Bowl. 
but I haven't really touched base with family and I need to because it's rough. You know, I mean, I'm just now, you know, just entering this, this new part of my life. I'm just like, you know, it's, everybody's gotten so disconnected. Everybody is so disconnected from each other. They, they become so self-involved and you don't know who's built up some kind of weird resentment for one reason or another. I've made it a point to not do that. I've done everything I can to not build up resentment, but I can feel it growing. You know, I can feel it. You know, I think the last few years, the last more than just a couple years, but just the last couple years in particular, you can really feel that resentment starting to grow. It's like it's found the cracks and it's trying to find its way up. And you really have to cut it down the second you notice it. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to, you know, acknowledge it. But you really can't let that shit grow and, you know, just grow. It weaves its way in and out of cracks in your soul. And next thing you know, you actually believe in that resentment. And I worry about people I know that they've let that happen. They've found some little reason to resent people they know. And it's uh, once that happens, it's hard to get rid of it. It's like part of their infrastructure. But uh, what else do I got here? Not a lot. Not a lot to say. That's why I don't do these right now. Because I'm just like, I don't have a lot. You know, I was looking at jobs on Indeed. And you see some that seem all right. It's like administrative assistant, executive assistant, this or that. Things that I could do. And then you read the description and it'll say something like, you will report to the diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. And I'm just like, oh. Even though you can fake that, like even you, even though you know the formula to follow to impress that person maybe, if they can even be impressed by someone like me. But even though I know the formula, it's like when you read that, you're just like, I know the hell that this represents. I know the torture that comes with this. Even if I get it, even if I were to try to get this, and then you'll read something where it's like, oh, you, uh, operations manager for a floor tile company, and it, there's nothing like that in there. You know, anything that, because I mean, I, what's funny is the ones I saw that were like that, it was like, one of them was like, uh, it was for like a local theater, but it's a big deal. It's like a big, nice theater here that has like state sponsored events. They have fancy events there. You know, this is the capital. So they'll have like sanctioned events, but it was just, it was, there was something like that in there. And there was this other thing I saw. I'm trying to think of what it was for. It looked like a good job. It looked like something that I would otherwise want to do, but then it launched into this whole thing about like, your personality and your interest should reflect an interest in equity and you should be continually trying to learn from things that you learn. I don't, I don't know what it said exactly. It was like you should be continually like be willing to learn as, as new information comes to you and just every, the whole way it was worded, it just dripped with, it, it just, it just dripped <laughs> why even say what it dripped with it just dripped and i was like fuck like you know even if you, you even if you went through the motions to tell these people what you want them to know or what they want to hear 
it's going to be torture. They're going to be constantly evaluating you. They're going to be constantly wondering about you. Like if you don't say the right things on a daily basis, or if, if they even smell something, you know, if your pheromones don't smell right, they're going to be constantly evaluating you at those places. And I've been at those before when things weren't nearly as bad. And when you work at a place where people are constantly like reading into not just not just whether you're there doing what you're doing, being a decent coworker, but when they're reading into like who you are in your personal life and what you're committed to and what your opinions are, it's a special kind of hell. And that doesn't belong in a workplace. And they think it does. They think that that's important. They think that that should rule the workplace. It should rule the workplace. And I can tell you that the tile shop doesn't say that. The tile warehouse, they might be looking for an administrative assistant too, and they don't say anything like that. And I'm not even one of these pseudo blue collar guys. I don't come from a blue collar background. I've done blue collar jobs here and there before, not, not a lot, but... There is something to be said for those environments, though. Like I think about when I worked in this warehouse and I got along with the manager. I think I've told this story, but why not? Why not retell it? But the the manager took a liking to me. He was from San Diego. I mean, he wasn't white. I don't know. He, he must have been Mexican or he must have been something because his skin was very dark, but he had like a white beard and gray hair. Big round guy. Round. And uh, yeah, I'm guessing he was Hispanic, Latino, whatever. And uh, but he but he was very much like into hunting. He was into guns. He was very gruff. I think ex-military. And he was telling me how he teaches little kids how to hunt. Like one of the things he does in his spare time is basically like take kids out in these hunting classes and teaches them how to hunt. And he was telling me about it, and he's like, you know, at this point, he's like. It's not even about like getting food or anything for me. He's like, I just like to kill shit. And I just laughed because I'm like, that's a, it's a bold admission. But hey, you know what? I'm sure he does eat it. This was a very large man. But I like that he felt comfortable saying that to me. I like that he said, at this point, man, like, I just like to kill shit. I was like, hey, you know, that's not something that, like, if, if, if you know, if he had said that to anybody else, like there were women who worked there in the warehouse. Like if he had said that to them, who knows how they would have responded? Who knows how some of the men there would have responded? And it's not like I enjoy somebody killing animals just for the fun of it, but he's a hunter. And I thought it was, you know, it was just kind of a funny admission to make. Like I just like to kill shit. And he also told me something else. And keep in mind, this guy was not a white man. This guy was not a white man. He would never be mistaken for a white man. And he told me one time, he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, I I know I'm on an FBI list. And he didn't sound like that. He was more like, I know, I know I'm on an FBI list. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I found out years ago. I had a friend who, you know, who like worked for the FBI or something. And I asked him, I was just like, hey, you know, let me know if I'm on any lists. And he's like, and the guy came, said that I was. And he's like, I know exactly why. And who knows how much of this is bullshit, but then the important part is the story that he launched into, and he goes, he's like, I know why I'm on the list. He's like, back in the 70s, this book came out called The Turner Diaries, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. 
he's like this book called the Turner Diaries came out. It was like this, uh, you know, white supremacist, you know, survival book. <laughs> it's well known. And he's like, and I ordered it from this mail order place that sold things like that. And he goes, and that's why I'm on the list. It got me put on an FBI list. And I'm like, you know, that's probably true. The FBI probably was monitoring everybody who ordered that book from that, probably a white power mail order, you know, service. I don't know. This is the 1970s. But again, another bold admission. I just like to kill shit. And I'm probably on an FBI list for ordering the Turner Diaries from some white power distributor in the 70s. And he was an older guy. And I was like, yeah, you wouldn't tell just about anybody that. But he told me. And what made it better, though, is that he was Mexican or something. You know, so it wasn't like he was just some... He he wasn't exactly what you'd expect. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he was the diversity, equity, and inclusion officer there. <laughs> he that, that, that guy is the diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. But now when you read that in these, it's, it's crazy that they even tell you you'll be reporting to that. Like, how often do job postings even tell you who you're going to report to? Like you will be, I guess they do sometimes, but still, it seems like they're making a statement when they're like, you will be reporting to the diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. And what's so weird is one of these jobs didn't even have anything to do with DEI. It didn't even have anything to do with that. But I've heard this more and more. Like I've heard this happening at college campuses where completely unexpected fields, branches, offices in the college will report to that person. Because they want their hands in everything, and it, it comes, you know, and it's you just know that's going to be torture. Not because you want to go to work and be incendiary and push back on them. You just know that they're going to be constantly evaluating you. They want you to be dedicated to their cause, and that's what's so insane. That's why certain friendships are so hard to maintain is this idea has been burned into people's brains. They've truly been brainwashed. I try not to say brainwashed because it's become so, you know, it's been in common use my entire life. Like, oh, they're brainwashed. Oh, they're just getting brainwashed. I look at what's going on with that stuff, and I'm just like, they have been completely brainwashed. They have been completely brainwashed into thinking that that is what you are supposed to do with your life that you are supposed to let that be a part of every single little thing at every single time. To the point where just somebody who wants to have a basic job that has nothing to do with that has to involve that and has to report to the person who is monitoring and managing that. And what makes it so insane too is it used to be like you could just meet a basic, you know, you could you could just meet a basic level of you know, I'm trying to think of the word, like it used to be where if you were like applying to a job, and it was kind of a liberal workplace, you just had to basically not be a bigot. You had to not be an out and out bigot, who's going to challenge them. Like you basically have to have just a basic level of tolerance, true tolerance. And beyond that, it really wasn't a big deal. Like people could still joke around you weren't expected to be continually expanding your view of that. And really, it, it, it's not expansion. It's the constriction of your views. Things become far more constricted. 
but you're expected to constantly change now. And I saw that take place at a workplace I had where suddenly this stuff around 2016, this stuff started to creep in more and more. Like up until that point, I'd worked there for five years at that point. And up until that point, everybody there was super liberal. I was me and two other guys, one of whom was the only Muslim, wasn't a practicing Muslim, but he was, his name was very Muslim. But it was me and this, this young Muslim man who was more blonde and blue-eyed than I was, but he was half Jordanian, and his name was very much Muslim, a very Islamic name. Like me, him, and this other guy who was a, a comedy writer, like we kind of formed our own little faction for a while when we were all working together because we were like, we really just don't see eye to eye with, you know, for example, like in the 2012 election, the boss put Obama stickers over everything in the office and put like a stack of Obama stickers on a table for everybody to take. And someone finally talked to him and was like, you know, I don't think that's the right thing to do. You know, and like this girl who was wonderful, like there was this girl there who was really wonderful and non-judgmental. But I remember like the day of the election, she just said out loud to the office, it's really amazing we work in a place where every single person voted for Obama. And I go, Ugh. <laughs> I was like, I, I wouldn't make that assumption. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was just like, yeah, hey, I, would, I wouldn't make that assumption. <laughs> and, uh, it was very cute and innocent though. You know, it was very cute and innocent. Cause like in her mind, it was like, nobody here is a bigot. It's cool. Everybody here voted for Obama. I just had to be like, yeah, don't be so sure of that. But, uh, yeah, somebody had to tell the boss, like maybe you shouldn't be handing out Obama stickers to your employee employees. It was a bit much. But that was basically it. And I, I'm honestly, I found that pretty inoffensive. Like, I didn't find her, like, assuming everybody was an Obama fan. I didn't, you know, the boss handing out Obama stickers. It was just like Randy Marsh from South Park or something. It wasn't something that felt like it burdened you. You could just kind of laugh it off because he wasn't going to follow up with that. Like, he didn't actually give a shit what you thought. He wasn't going to come after you and be like, have you read the latest book about this? I couldn't help but you I couldn't help but notice your your violent silence is deafening. I couldn't help but notice that you didn't agree when we talked about blah blah blah. I couldn't help but notice that your your violent silence is deafening. You know, nobody was gonna follow up with you about bullshit or evaluate you. And you could joke around about all kinds of shit that now you couldn't. And maybe some of that, it's for the best that you can't know. There are certainly things that people used to joke about that I think it's probably for the best that you can't do that anymore because some of that did make people uncomfortable. And I'm a big fan of not making people uncomfortable in the workplace because it goes all ways. You know, the door swings both ways and all, all ways with me as far as that goes. Like, I wouldn't want to work at a place where somebody's trying to ram conservative shit down your throat either. Like, when I was in high school, my friend... He worked as a janitor for some like rocket factory. It was some, it was a weird place. I feel like they made rockets and uh, they would just play Rush Limbaugh 
And, you know, as much as he's, I've never heard Rush Limbaugh, like I've never actually listened to Rush Limbaugh. But when I started this show, I said I wanted it to be Rush Limbaugh meets Wolfman Jack. But to be honest, I'm kind of posing because I've never actually heard Rush Limbaugh. Limbaugh. He's Rush Limbaugh. But my friend, he was a, you know, a teenage janitor and they would just play blast Rush Limbaugh. And he said it was just so much to deal with. Like, I wouldn't want to work at that place either. I wouldn't want to have that shit pumped through my ears either. Anytime someone makes an assumption that you want to hear about politics or social issues all day when you're at work and you don't have a job that immediately pertains to that, it's a problem. And people try to and people invent so many fucking problems like at that same warehouse I worked at, there was this really fat woman and, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. But I mean, I think giving a little description just gives you an idea, right? It's just a description. She had brown hair, too. Just a little descriptor, a little descriptor. And uh, she, when it came to Christmas time, she was really upset about the war on Christmas. And there is a war on Christmas. I think the war on Christmas is real too. I'm not as passionate about it, but there's definitely a war on Christmas. And she was really into it though. And like they wrote Happy Holidays. And keep in mind, this is a, a children's book company. So, of course, they're going to kind of try to follow the model of schools and all that. A lot of our business was with schools. Schools. A lot of our business was with schools. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, but uh, anyway, she got like really upset because somebody wrote Happy Holidays in the break room whiteboard. Somebody, somebody wrote Happy Holidays. And she like crossed it out and wrote Merry Christmas. And it reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw years ago. It was like a a SUV and it said, we say Merry Christmas. And I was like, you know, that's not the Christmas spirit. We say Merry Christmas. Just have a bumper sticker that says Merry Christmas. Don't say we say Merry Christmas, like this passive aggressive you know, fight the war on Christmas with just pure Christmas spirit. Fight for the honor of Christmas with just pure good Christmas spirit. Don't do it from this passive aggressive place where when someone says happy holidays, you say, we say Merry Christmas. Don't cross out the happy holidays on the break room whiteboard and write Merry Christmas. And then what she did too is like, she had a lot of pull there, like she had worked there for a long time. And so when she'd be in the warehouse, she had a little boom box. And during normally nobody would even listen to music. But during the month of December, she just blasted on loop Christmas music nonstop. And it really felt like an assault because I don't even I don't hate Christmas music. I'm not one of these people who's like, Oh, God, I hate Christmas, you know, I hate Christmas music. But she would blast this fucking music on loop. And what bothered me about it is that she was clearly doing it to assault everybody with it. It wasn't about her just enjoying Christmas music. It played into her crossing out happy holidays on the board. And she had this bad attitude all the time anyway. It's like it wasn't about honoring Christmas. It was very much about fighting this war with people who say happy holidays and like forcing everybody to hear the music just because she liked to force them to hear it like she thought she was doing christmas a favor when she wasn't you know um 
so people like that, it's like, that's the same thing to me. Point being, like, that's the same thing as, you know, somebody forcing these politics and social issues into the workplace today. Because that's what that is. The whole, her whole, like, fear about the war on Christmas. It was like a, a different version of that. Like, you're going to report to our chief Christmas officer. It's like, my job has nothing to do with Christmas. Yeah, but it's important that everybody understand the value of Christmas. When I worked for UPS, I went to this, uh, I don't know what they did. They It just seemed like this little hole in the wall in a strip mall. And it wasn't a store, but it was just some sort of distribution place. And they just seemed to sell CDRs. I guess they must have done some sort of mail order service, but they would just pack up CDRs and ship them places. I guess they just some sort of blank media company or something. But we had to hang out there for a really long time one time. And I remember like going into their break room and like somebody had like drawn a cross on a mountaintop and like written a bunch of Christian messages on the walls. And I was like, you know, it doesn't bother me. Even back then I was, you know, a little less receptive to that sort of thing. But at the same time, I remember like looking at it and I was like, you know, this, is, this isn't bad. It's a little presumptuous and there might be something that goes along with it that I don't like. Like if you work there, you might be assaulted with that stuff. But just kind of seeing that in the break room, I was like, I've never really seen this. I've never seen this. Like it was almost like a prison drawing of a cross on a mountain and it was really well drawn, but simple. And like somebody had done it in Sharpie. And I was like, that's really interesting. But it's still like if it's politicized, I mean, you could imagine it's always like something goes along with it. That's the problem. Like whenever that shit makes it into the workplace, it's always like something comes along with this. It's not even about the thing. Because like I said, you could tell the diversity and equity and inclusion officer, you could be like, yeah, you know, I am cool with everybody. You're not going to you're not going to catch me being upset at somebody because they're different from me. I'm not going to let that kind of thing impact my my ability to do my job here. And I will be totally fine with anybody you put me in contact with. And I will be nice while I do it. And I will be genuinely nice. This is exactly what I'd say to them. That's not enough. They're evaluating every little thing you do and you're expected. Like that one that said, the listing that said, like, we expect you to continue learning once, you know, new information presents itself. And it's like, yeah, of course. But there, that's not what it was. It was in line. It was like it was in the same sentence when they were talking about equity. So it wasn't just like as you learn new things about your job, we expect you to expand. It was in the same sentence where they were talking about like who you should be as a person and adding in this political and social shit. And I was just like, man, that sounds like a problem. And the amount of stuff that's doing that now is kind of eye-opening. We say Merry Christmas. We say Merry Christmas. We say Merry Christmas. We say Merry Christmas. Say Merry Christmas. Say Merry Christmas. Hey 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 Merry Christmas. We say, hey, Merry Christmas. That was a good, that felt good. That was really cathartic. I've needed to do that. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see what happens. This has been, I think February, I, I say this every single month, I think February has been the weirdest month. I think it's been truly the weirdest month I've ever experienced. It's been just so fucking weird for no particular reason. It just seems like this is when everything caught up to me. This is when everything just caught up and I'm just like, holy fucking shit. The Super Bowl was a week ago. I did watch it. Kind of. I had it on in the background. And you know what? I didn't watch a single playoff game up to that point. And it made me a little sad because I heard they were all good. And I love football. I love good football. But you know what? I'm just like last year burned me out so bad on it. Like last year's season when it was like empty stadiums and, you know, once again, like diversity and social justice statements on the end zones and the backs of helmets. Hey, it's okay. Um, just all that shit. It was just like, is this, this doesn't need to be a part of this. This doesn't need to be a part of everything that's going on. We don't need to be constantly reminded of this every single freaking second while there's a fucking coronavirus going on, while they're playing in empty stadiums. And you really realize like how much that takes out of the game to not have a real crowd there. And then this season was a little better in theory, but it was just hard for me to get into it. I, wa- I even missed two Seahawks games. I haven't missed a Seahawks game in probably like 12 years. And I missed two Seahawks games this season. I just was like, you know, I don't even feel like waking up. And then now, you know, it's it's once the Seahawks season was over, I was just like, I don't even want to watch the playoffs. They added a new game, you know. It's one of those things where I am a creature of habit, and it's like they added a new game at the end of the season. So, like, my entire life, there's 16 games in the season. Now there's 17. So it's this weird, awkward new number. And I know that stuff happens. Like, I know that, you know, years ago, before my time, that there were like 14 games in a season. So there's these changes that happen. But it just seems like they've just fucked with it too much. And so I had the Super Bowl on in the background, which was just enough. It was just enough because I was doing other things and I could just kind of keep tabs on the score, maybe catch a big play here or there. But didn't see any commercials, didn't, you know, the only one I saw was the Sopranos one, which was honestly just kind of embarrassing. Just like using Sopranos actors to try to sell a truck. I mean, it could be worse. But I just, advertising just spins my brain around inside my skull where it's just like, did somebody watch this and think like, I love the Sopranos. I'm going to buy that truck. Maybe. But uh, I don't know. The new year doesn't start until the Super Bowl's over. And the Super Bowl gets later and later every year. I mean, two years from now, the Super Bowl will be in March. You want to talk about the war on Christmas? It's the war on the Super Bowl. You're going to start having the, the Super Bowl in April, in June. But uh, anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. I don't. I don't even have an hour in me. I don't even have an hour in me. I don't even have an hour in me. And that, with that, I'll see you soon.
this land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children